When it comes to hunting boots, how many pairs does one man need? Well, how many seasons are there? Turkey season? Deer season? Duck season? Dove season? Honey, how many pairs of boots does one man need? At least one more pair. For just about everything for hunting, go to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Larry Potterfield with Midway USA. Thanks for your business. Hunting is not easy. It never has been. It takes dedication, motivation, a lot of patience, and quality gear. If you manage a food plot, put up stands, or need just one more game camera, we can help at MidwayUSA.com. We opened our doors in 1977 and continue to put customers first by offering super fast, same day shipping. For just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet? Uh, well, not exactly. I'm still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon. <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working on it. But what do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm, I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. T- distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour. You, no, no. What were you doing? Were you listening to another hunting podcast again? I swear, I give the staff in this office the freedom to do whatever they want to do as long as they meet a deadline. That is the first bullet underneath your job description. Pays attention to detail and deadline. And deadline. Dude, are you even listening to me right now? Welcome to episode 25 of the Whitetail Distraction Podcast. My name's Austin, and joining me today in my basement until it gets warm outside, Charles Hedlund. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. What's going on? Oh, dude, you know, I'm just hanging out. I'm excited about today. Oh, I'm excited about today. I think everybody's going to be excited about today. This is an episode that we've been kind of holding back from, guys, and we're pretty excited about it. It's something that I've been waiting to kind of uh, pick the brain at. Someone I look up to in the in the hunting world, I guess. Absolutely. You know, someone I idolize a little bit. So, it's a big surprise. But <laughs> it is a big surprise. <laughs> Dude, uh, we're trying not to give it away in the intro. You know, this guy that's coming on is, he's someone special to us. And I think a lot of people can relate to what he has to say. We go over a bunch of great topics. And we're going to cover everything. Oh, yeah, man. He just, he's a wealth of knowledge and, you know, he's just a really cool dude to sit around and talk to. I mean, I, don't, I know you're the same way. I could have talked to him for four or five hours if, yeah, you know, I just didn't want to keep him all night. <laughs> you know, I, he's a busy guy. They're yeah. all busy guys. So, right. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of being selfish. I'm just like, I'm trying to suck up as much information as I can. I want to keep conversation going because it's going really good. Yep. So I don't want to ruin anything. Yep. Agreed. You know, I just was like, I understand his time, but I could tell he was enjoying it too. Because yeah, oh yeah, he oh loves yeah. this stuff. Yeah. That's what he does. He does. He's getting fired up a couple times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> we start talking about some Pennsylvania points and it gets a little heated at times. So true. It's amazing. It's a really good episode. Probably going to be my favorite episode to hit the air. Agreed. All right. All so, right. Well, we might as well bring him on then, huh? Yeah. So today we are joined by someone that. We love, we know you guys love him, one of our favorite hosts from our favorite show on YouTube, 
the turkey slaying, smallmouth angling, buckstocking dude with the best hair on YouTube, Zach Fahrenbaugh. Before we bring Zach on, let's hear a quick word about our sponsor, Williams Archery. Archery season is sadly come and gone, but your shooting does not have to stop there thanks to Williams Archery's indoor range. They offer hands-on shooting lessons, and they run indoor shooting leagues throughout the offseason. Now is also a great time to go get the repairs done that you've been putting off all season. You can also check out their new bow lines of Hoyt, PSE, Elite, Bear, Parker, and more. The new bows are awesome. Tell them you heard about Williams Archery on the Whitetail Distraction Podcast when you give them a call at 724-667-9660. All right, today on the podcast we have Zach Farrenbaugh. How you doing today, buddy? Oh, been pretty good. Been on... Been on the road mostly. Mostly I'm on the road, so yeah, just always trying to remember which state I'm in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine, man. Oh yeah. So one quick question just to start this off. How's it feel to uh be the person with the best hair on YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I don't necessarily know that it's true if you're encompassing all of YouTube. But, <laughs> but I appreciate the support. Yeah. Ah, I, I, it's funny, you know, you want to hear the real quick story of how I grew my hair out? Yes, sir. For the first time. So me and me and some buddies, we went to Ohio University in Southeast Ohio. And um, we were all part of the, the fishing club there. And we were hanging around having a social gathering. And me and my brother and probably three or four of our friends in the club were standing there. And we started talking about how we wanted to grow, always wanted to grow our hair out. And like five of us were just like... Yeah, like let's do it. So we just like all shook our shook on shook on it and said, you know, see who can grow it the longest. And whoever, you know, at some time we probably had some silly bet, like you know, whoever gets theirs cut first has to, you know, buy everybody beer or something. And oh yeah, <laughs> we uh, you know, some time went on and there was probably you know there was four of us and then there was three of us and then there was me and my brother and <laughs> me and my brother now still to this day, you know, years later still have. Like really long hair. It's kind of funny. I was going to ask how many people are left from that bet. So it's just you and your brother that made it this whole time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been at this point, man. It's been probably, I think that probably happened in early, uh, yeah, it was early 2014. Oh, man. So, so since that, that time, it's been really long. I've always had a little bit longer hair, but since then, it's been about this long. I cut it one or two times, maybe, but. Yeah, you got to tell you Jake know, and Ted, man. They they got to get their hair game up. Jake and is Ted, that, Jake and Ted, they're they're really struggling on that hair game. Jake, they, Jake's is getting pretty long. I think the mullet's pretty hilarious. But he, at first, <laughs> I didn't stand for it. But. It is pretty pretty hilarious. <laughs> I know. I didn't stand for it at first, but then he did it, and I was like, all right, that's actually pretty funny. And like, he is really always wearing a hat anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Like, <laughs> yeah. you barely see it. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah. I love some of the headbands he wears too. They're hysterical. I love that. Oh yeah, <laughs> we we really enjoy just you know, creating a a goofy you know appearance because I don't know, it just doesn't really matter to us that much. I guess you so. gotta have fun, man. That's one way of having oh, yeah. fun. Yeah, that's what yeah. hunting's all about. That's what our whole goal is out there to have a lot of fun. Yeah, man, I love that you guys aren't like super super serious. Like you got those hunting shows where. They're just like, this is how it is, and this is how it's always going to be. And you guys are like, hey, what's going on, man? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's, it's not ever, it never was that serious before we started doing this. So why would it suddenly become serious, you know? Yeah, I not guess like that. That's kind of what we, you know, being ourselves, I guess. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if we mentioned it that you're from the hunting public on YouTube. I um, didn't. <laughs> yeah. We just kind of got right into it. But yeah, so you are from the hunting public on YouTube and you mm-hmm. grew up right here in Ohio. But mm-hmm. uh, instead of, we usually ask our guests right off the bat kind of where you're from, what do you do? We kind of understand what you do. At least the, the people that do or don't, um, they, they need to get on it. You can go look at the hunting public on YouTube and we'll catch up with that later. But I want you to kind of talk a little bit about where you grew up in Ohio and how it was growing up there as a young hunter. Yeah, so I grew up in western Ohio and started hunting when I was real little. So my parents moved to western Ohio for college and then stayed there after they graduated, but my family and a lot of their friends were still in eastern Ohio. So when I was a kid, every weekend we'd go home is what you know my parents called it. So we'd go east and that's where I kind of got into hunting originally was with my grandpa's and my dad in eastern Ohio. And my grandpa has two 80-acre blocks around where he lives. And then my dad's friend, or like one of my dad's best friends, who his son is now one of my best friends, Ben. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Mm -hmm. one of the videos or anything, Mm -hmm. but they lived over there and they had, I think, 57 acres. So like, that's kind of where I grew up, you know, the original, like, days of hunting was just kind of popping around those I guess those areas and when oh and then I had you know then we had a couple places of permission right around there as well so kind of started hunting there and then when I was 11 years old we lost permission on like the only place out of those pieces that had turkeys so from 12 on until now I've hunted turkeys pretty like exclusively on public land since I was 12 years old yeah and then deer as time went on and I kind of grew up started got my driver's license and stuff like that and was able to just go more i started gaining permission in western ohio which is what i would hunt you know when i was in middle school all the way to college through college i would hunt that like when i was around home just a few places on permission and really flat ground you know western ohio was like extremely flat a lot of roads a lot of people very 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 little deer habitat so i hunted that on the weekdays some weekends and then most weekends I would, you know, go to eastern or southern Ohio and hunt those places that my family and friends owned or public land around there. Hmm. And did that all the way through, well, up until college and then in college, went to OU and there's a ton of public land around there within really short driving distance and I just started exploring like crazy when I was in college. Like, yeah. That's when I really started just like learning how to do some of the things that we're doing now, like just dive into a piece of public and try to figure it out as fast as you could, you know, and, and, uh, I really owe a lot to Southern Ohio and my, you know, to me, it means a lot to live there and went to school there and still probably my favorite place I've ever lived just because of all the easy access to public land and how much ground you can cover. I mean, you could live all your whole life down there and, and you never cover it all, but yeah. Mm-hmm. then eventually moved to Iowa and started working for Midwest Whitetail and then just about, uh, I think about a year and a half ago now, we started the hunting public. So it's oh, kind yeah. of the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I, I love the hunting public, and I really liked uh, watching you on Midwest Whitetail. I mean, that was always pretty cool, too. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I got a good idea. Yeah. I just came up with an idea for you guys. Uh, you don't really have an intro to your shows, which, by the way, I love. But yeah. I think you need to do this. I think you need to go through your intro, and then just like the NFL does it, be like, Hi, I'm Zach Farenbaugh, the 
Ohio University. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. That would, actually that would be, be really hilarious. <laughs> I was just picturing it in my mind, and I couldn't, like, I literally couldn't wait. I probably didn't even hear the last 40 things you said because I couldn't wait to just mention that. <laughs> it was blowing up in my mind. I'm picturing you standing there so serious. <laughs> you could, I mean, you could, uh, you could, de- oh, or you guys would definitely laugh at all the crazy video ideas that we, we dream up but never actually go through with. We got the list goes on of mm-hmm. just like silly stuff that we <laughs> See, wish we had more time to do. Yeah, I can I, only I, imagine. I just wish more guys would follow your lead though. You guys put out videos that are just so laid back and goofy. And I mean, I enjoy watching them and I've said it before. I don't know. I've never did the statistics, but say 10% of your videos are actual kills and 90% oh, yeah. aren't. And I love it. I mean, I love the realness of it. There's not like a big drawn out intro to every show. You know, there's not even a ton of beeline. Usually you just, you get into it. It's very informative, but you guys have fun with it. And I think that's something that people that are trying to get into filming shows and they're trying to make it out there. If you want to say that, but they really need to learn about or see what you guys are doing because you guys are doing it right and it's it seems to be pretty successful. Your growth over the last year is just unreal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's growing better than we than we even hoped, and you know, we try really hard. I mean, it's just a lot of it is a lot of work, and right? mm-hmm. a lot of people ask us the question like, how do you guys how do you guys hunt every day? What do you what's your job to hunt every day? And it's like, I mean, as much as we edit and you know do stuff on social media and just creating content in general, it's like. This literally is more than, you know, a 40-hour-a-week job by a long shot. Absolutely. You know? Oh, I can only imagine. I mean, just but, imagine you spend, you know, say six hours in a stand in a given day, and then oh, outside yeah. of that, you're you're always editing and trying to get things out as quick as possible. I mean, when you guys were on the road, like in the turkey tour, you were posting a video almost every day. It was incredible. Yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. I was loving it personally. Yeah. You know, I was sitting at work not doing a dang thing but watching your video for the first half an hour or 45 minutes of the day. But <laughs> <laughs> And that's just to be honest. But uh, yeah. yeah, I love it. I love how you guys are always keeping up on it. And like, you know, we mentioned before we started recording how you feel some of the pressure. And people probably don't understand that. And, and how do you guys get away with kind of keeping hunting as far as – trying to not feel like it's a job so much for you, you know, but still keeping it fun. How do we do that? Yeah. How do you do it? I think we just love hunting more than like, it's probably normal. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like that's the trick really. It's like if it starts to become something that you're not interested in or you don't want to talk about, then it's hard to keep that, that, you know, sincere goofiness and that excitement, you know, that we have every day. And I think, you know, like when I have been, interviewing people for like our internship thing that we do which is the coolest thing ever by the way if i wasn't working yeah. i'd be throwing my name in the hat too i already asked my yeah. wife i got turned down <laughs> sorry man <laughs> but you know it's like when we do that and we talk to people and we're interviewing them, you know i tell everybody and i mean i can't tell them enough you gotta love it man like you gotta love it more than you love pretty much anything you know and it's like it's hard it's hard to understand and and it's hard to really realize what's going on until they, you know, you get a chance to do it. And it's like, yeah, it really is not a lot of sleep, and you just gotta really love hunting. Yeah, and <laughs> I mean, it's not gonna make it. That's gonna kind of go into what I wanted to ask you next about um, the deer tour this year and how your season went. But I can only imagine how tired you guys must get because 
the amount of hunting that I do is non-existent compared to how much you do. And I know doing a couple all day sits, I'm freaking tired, <laughs> Oh yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, it's tough. We've gotten a little bit better at like just being efficient and working together to get, you know, kind of to a point where we can give each other a little bit of breaks. Just the way that we just in well, in the way that we post like post kind of like, you know, maybe like we go to two different places like that kind of helped. You know, yeah. At least keep us alive. But, you know, it's still hunting for hunting and editing and being on the road and traveling and uh, for, you know, September 1 till, oh, what we did, did it till sometime in the first two weeks of January, you know, so that's a long time. Yeah, that's a long time to keep going every day. I mean, that, that's wild, man. And it only took, really, the only break I can remember Colorado to visit my girlfriend a couple times once in October and November. There you go. There you go. And you got to keep time to make time for family and girlfriends and everything else. I mean, that's yeah, super yeah, important. Ba- barely do. Barely mm-hmm. do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's part of the struggle, I guess, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the, one of the risks involved with <laughs> working at the hunting public. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine, man. That's crazy. But why don't we get a little bit into the deer tour? Like, where did you guys yeah. kind of come up with the idea of the coolest thing ever, the deer tour? And how was your season kind of this year? I mean, it seemed pretty eventful to me. Yeah, I mean, the reason, what we came up with, I mean, for for years we've been talking about, like, you know, we got to get to more states, you know. Yeah, we started at Midwest Whitetail doing the, I mean, this this is ultimately why the hunting public started. We wanted to do this at Midwest Whitetail, but the opportunity wasn't there. You know, we talked for years at Midwest Whitetail, we got to travel more, we got to hit these states, we got to hit home for our viewers, right? Yeah. And, you know, we knew it'd be tough hunting, but like we were willing to just go for it. And we thought, you know, even if we fail, at least people will learn from our mistakes. Right. And, you know, we can learn together. Like that was always, it's just always been kind of the vision, I guess. And, and we started doing it for Turkey when we were at Midwest Whitetail when we did Spring Thunder. We did that, did it the first year there, like traveled and hunted public land and like, we were like, we got to do this. Like we got to do this with our life. And, the opportunity just wasn't there to do it for, for deer. Uh, just the way that, you know, things worked there. It was just like, it was not enough time to go travel and hunt. And I guess that was really what we wanted to do with our lives. And then, you know, it's kind of how the deer tour started. We wanted to do it in, I guess what, 2017 hunting season, but just like didn't have any money at that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so had to work with Iowa, but you know, yeah. we were still able to hunt Iowa a lot this year and, and travel. I mean, we went from, oh man, we went to first, September 1st was Greg, Logan, and I went to Nebraska. Ted, Jake, and Aaron went to Kentucky. Shot three bucks in the first five days of, yeah. of seasons being open. Yeah, talk about opening up a deer tour, man. Holy <laughs> yeah. crap. Yeah. That helps, that helps traction when you knock them down like that. Heck yeah. Especially yours. Yeah, well, they were wow. all just like crazy hunts, right? Yeah. Like, they were all just like really, really wild, kind of like almost once-in-a-lifetime type hunts to a certain degree. I mean, you're on a traveling and, you know, all those situations were unique. And it was just like, how did we just get that lucky, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some, like, you know, we obviously got ourselves into the right positions, but there's still some luck involved being able to find those deer, you know? It's just like, it's just crazy. We felt felt pretty lucky and then kind of got a quick realization of hey this isn't always going to be easy when we went to minnesota and i mean guys in our group shot box but mm-hmm. doing the public land challenge you know jake was 
I guess our our guy, if you want to say it that way, that right. You know, we were using you know kind of our strategy, and um, we didn't we didn't really do any good at all there. I mean, we, we were, well, I shouldn't say that we learned a lot. We were close, but we were actually just dealing with the lack of pressure, and we were overshooting a lot of things. We were bumping a lot of deer, and that was just a quick like, hey, remember, it's not always going to be that easy. I thought it was kind of an interesting thing because you guys kind of have like the Dan Infault sort of style almost like the run and gun, the hunting buck beds and things like that. But it was really interesting to see Dan was going what three hours, three hours every yeah. day to a different spot. And then Jake was mm-hmm. going and hunting places. And then it was just absolutely crazy to me. Yeah. Dan was hunting in the area and he had something in mind and that's what he, what he, you know, what those two guys did. I mean, both well, mm-hmm. him and Joe. Like, yeah. Him right. and Joe. Yep. They went hunting an area more so than they went hunting, you know, figuring out a spot. I, guess, I mean, I guess I don't, that's, that's kind of the same thing. But does that make sense? Like, oh, they literally were just like bouncing pieces of public. Like, the first few days is trying to find, you know, where they could see the habitat that they were looking for, I guess. And like, yeah, I mean, it makes a lot that. of sense. Like, yeah. If you know what, if you know what you're looking for, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, we were just trying to try something completely different than what we'd never seen, you know. So, right. There's two different approaches there, which is cool. I think, I think just goes to show you can do it either way. Yeah, absolutely. And even Garrett from, um, oh shoot, what's his channel? DIY. The DIY, DIY Sportsman. Yep. I mean, he even had a different theory about it. He was hunting the hills and climbing up the hills every day. I mean, that was even crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And we were, we, I hung with Jake quite a bit on that trip. And there was even some days that we stayed extra that we really didn't post because nothing happened. But we, I mean, we tried super hard, guys, like tried so hard, <laughs> like put so much effort in, like, I just, I mean, I remember really feeling like we were grinding it out. I know it's super cliche, and I, but you know, when you hear it's super cliche to say, you know, we hunted hard, and I think, <laughs> I think that means something different for everybody. But you know, we were trying extremely hard and, and putting a lot of effort into it, and we just kept striking out. We were, what ended up happening was like early, we were like bumping everything, right? Right. Like we were too close to the to the access points, and like we messed up a lot there, and then. Once we kind of got on that pattern and realized we were messing things up, they were starting to shift. Yeah. So we were just like behind and it was just like, man, and that's a, an oddball time of the season to hunt too. And I don't want to make any excuse with that, but it's just like, that just goes to show how much you have to be on hot sign. You, know, you got to be on the deer when they're doing what they're doing because if you're hunting sign that's a week old, you're a week behind. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Not, like it's just, hey, that, that's what we just preach all season is like, Find where they are today. Don't find where they are last week. Find where they are today. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that was, it, it kind of blew my mind. Like you guys, I would typically go and like try and look at the terrain features and then figure out a spot. And then knowing me, I'd probably find a spot that I liked and I'd probably stay there. You mm-hmm. guys were like, oh, sign's not hot. We'll keep moving, you know, and that yeah. was, that was awesome. Yeah. And that was a learning experience for me as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what ended up getting Dan three hours away. Like yeah. he said, he was look when he went there, he was looking for one specific thing, and when it yeah. wasn't there, he he was yeah. just going to travel till he found that one specific thing because that's I mean, what he knows, that's what he's comfortable with. Yep, that's the secret. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like we were talking before we got on here about scent control and and you know the whatever you can, I mean you can go on for days about what bow to shoot, what you know what's the fastest bow, what's the best camo, what's the best tree, what's the lightest tree stand, blah blah. Yeah. But Kells Box is hot sign and where they are today. Oh, yeah. There's no other secrets to it. Absolutely. You know, like, you have to be where the deer are. 
and and it may not may not be that far off, but if you're if you're f- further than 150 yards, a lot of times you're not in the game. And the only way that you're going to know that if you're in the game or not is being mobile and checking for hot sign. Yep. I mean, the main reason that we have these mobile type hunting styles, like hunting mm-hmm. on the ground or hunting from tree saddles or you know light tree stand setups. The reason that we do that is so we can stay on the hot sign as often as we can. If we're not, we're pretty upset. Yeah. Nothing worse than going in, getting set up, realizing the sign's not hot and realizing you wasted a bunch of time because, you know, you weren't trying hard enough to find it. Yeah, absolutely. And no one likes getting skunked. No. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's actually one of the points I wanted to touch on with you is you guys do a lot of mobile scouting. And I wanted to know how you decipher between like the really fresh sign to hunt compared to maybe older sign or even nighttime sign. And do you just relate it to bedding more or less? So we generally have, I mean, with enough, with enough experience looking for it at this point, a lot of times in a given piece, we can get pretty darn close to where we think the best bedding locations are going to be on a given roadblock, for example. Mm-hmm. A lot of different states... A lot of different habitat types. Like you just get enough experience looking for it and finding it that you can just see it on a map beforehand or at least close. So when we're like out of state, for example, we've already got, you know, bedding areas marked on a map, potential bedding areas and, and places that we think the deer are going to be for one reason or another. Then we have all those points and we start creating like little routes of like, okay, we're going to go from the truck to this bedding area to this bedding area and loop back to the car. Nothing's good go to the next spot and then you do that enough to where you just start eliminating and then also realizing what type of you know food sources deer are staging on or feeding on within their bedding area so then you can start to quickly maybe even eliminate places without even being there you just get to a point where you're just like you've got this big i mean you got to take you know in some situations i don't know let's say sixty thousand acres you got to take that down to 20 yards and You want to put yourself in the highest hot spot. So, like, the more ground you cover and the more you get a gauge of, like, what type of terrain and habitat the deer are in at that specific time, you know, the higher, I guess, higher your odds are for, for getting yourself down to that 20 yards. It's, it's a challenging thing to do, for sure. But, like, we feel, you know, there's you could set up in one decent spot all day, every day, especially, like, during a rut hunt. And, and you probably kill a buck or you could probably have an opportunity or have a close call but like we want to have as many close calls as we possibly can on the trip because there's a number of times it's not going to work out and if you have several hot spots let's say we're on a seven-day trip and we're on day four if if i don't feel like we've got three good spots to just like really focus on by the end we're in trouble we're behind you know so the first three or four days you really scout and maybe doing some observations, you know, whatever you may be, you're, you're scouting, you're figuring it out. And then your last like half of the trip or three days or whatever it may be, you're just, that's when you're going for your best spots. You're yeah. getting aggressive on, you know, what you've found and what you've deemed then at that point, a hot sign. Okay. Yeah. I just heard you mentioning it and I, I, I wanted to go off on that point for a second, but Let's take it back to the deer tour. So you guys were in Minnesota. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got your butts kicked. So how'd you bounce back? Where'd you go from uh, there? Well, so then, so then what was next? So we went to Minnesota. 
And then it kind of got, and then after Minnesota even, then it just kind of got slow. I mean, we had some good encounters. October 1st, right after we got our butts kicked in Minnesota, Ted and I got really close to a nice 10-pointer on opening day, which was just fun. I mean, just having a good encounter on opening day was exciting and encouraging. That was in Iowa. Mm -hmm. And then... Was that the hunt you guys got stuck out there? You went after him, he was bedded near you, right? I um, I thought we went out. We we saw him like I had literally just got back from Minnesota the night before. Yeah, and Ted and I went driving around and we saw that buck coming out mm. right at last light, and we just went right in for his bedding area the next evening. Okay, and um, yeah. kind of scouted our way around in the morning, eliminated an area of where we thought he was going, and then kind of looped around him and went in and got eyes on him. And he, I mean, he was darn close to us today. Yeah, just didn't pan out. But we went, we basically sat right up on that buck inside of 60 yards probably. And, you know, it was, that was kind of an encouraging deal. And then, and, you know, really all of October continued to just be like a lot of good encounters, but kind of, I mean, being a little bit more picky in our home state. And then Jake ended up, well, can't remember which one happened first, but I remember one day I was in my car, it was a warm day and Aaron called me and he's like, Hey dude, just shot one in Missouri. So he shot a buck <laughs> at his dad's farm, which is really cool. Yeah. And then, um, that was a hell of a buck. And then Jake shot one really close to that time frame there. And I think it would have been, man, I want to say last 10 days of October sometime in there. And then, and then right when we were going to, trying to go to Missouri and Ohio, I shot a buck in Iowa. Yep. We had a lot of good. We finally found, like, finally found what we were looking for there in Iowa. And that was kind of a fun string of hunts there where, like, it was one day, it was like, we're on it, we found it, this is the spot, and then I didn't have anybody to go with for several days, and then as soon as we went back in there, it was like, it was literally on fire, like, the first few does in the area were hot, and like, we just knew that that was going to be the case, and like, we would have been in there sooner, but like, ended up panning out and just having, you know, really two of the craziest days of rut hunting you could ask for. Oh yeah, and that's just a stinking magical time, man, when you find oh. those first hot does, it's just, it's on. Well... I mean, you know, we're hunting in Iowa for a month, roughly, you know, right. straight. So, like, the whole month, we're looking for that, like, we're seeking, like, where's the most big bucks we can find? You know, you're you're just kind of seeking that. You're looking for the best sign. And we had zoned in on a couple spots, but that ultimately ended up being the best place that I've ever hunted in October. I mean, and it was just because it was on fire. There was a lot of deer packed in there for that year. There's some conditions that had changed for access, I don't think a lot of people were coming in there because it was so wet. We just took advantage of that, and we were all over them. Oh, yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. It's it exciting crazy. to watch, too. Yeah, it was phenomenal content. There yeah. were literally bucks everywhere. <laughs> oh, bucks everywhere and just, like, so big cool. ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were a couple just goons in there, man. Jeez. Holy crap. I mean, even the buck that we ended up getting a shot at, I don't never really mentioned it, but if you go back and look at the videos from last year there's a video where jake and i were still hunting down an edge and i have that heads up decoy that i carry sometimes yeah. oh yeah oh yeah and that big eight point comes right up right up to us and i got drawn on him and everything but he ended up he ended up just getting weirded out because we did not have enough cover yeah that's when you guys got stuck out remember that you got stuck out in the open yeah you were doing an interview i think yeah yeah, yeah we were t yeah totally doing an interview <laughs> totally being stupid well that actually that buck is for sure the same one that I ended up shooting, and I shot him in the same exact spot. Like where his body is when I shoot him is where Jake and I were sitting when 
he came huh. into us with the decoy. That's and it's so him, cool. Like, yeah, it's him for sure. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. That is really cool. It, I didn't realize it till a couple of days later when I watched the video. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, "I'll be darned, it sure is." I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, I know like what I'll no be doing. denying it. I'll be going back and watching those two videos again tonight. Yeah, yeah, because that's yeah. cool to relate that. If back. you look at his beams, you look at the way his beams swoop and his brown tines kind of kick out. I mean. What's crazy is that buck was a big, like a huge buck then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I'd have shot it all day, man. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, he's just an absolute tank. Like his neck is giant, his head's giant, and then and this year he's just real freaky looking. Yeah, you put a great shot on him though, man. That was a that was yeah. a cool hunt. Yeah. Really cool hunt. Yeah, that was fun. That's the way I like to do it. I mean, that's I like to hunt him on the ground there at eye levels. Mm-hmm. really not much not much else like it oh yeah i kind of want to go off on a little bit of a tangent about that real quick oh yeah Let's so do you man you're like this year it didn't even seem like you were in the stand at all it seemed like you were on the ground with the ghillie suit just getting after it mm-hmm. now when you're doing the ground assault is what i'm going to refer to it as <laughs> yeah do you find that that's like more advantageous to you that you're on the ground rather than in the stand or what made you do kind I, of decide to like... Do I feel like it's advantageous? Is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> do you feel like that's like a better strategy for you as opposed to yeah. being in the stand? Because I feel like when I hunt the ground, because I do it sometimes too, but I feel like I'm constantly fighting myself to be like, oh, dude, I wish I could see more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I guess... Well, I guess I can give you the quick background of what got me into it, I guess, if you're interested. Absolutely. Sounds good to me. I may explain, like, more of why I do it for a number of different reasons, I guess. So, like, take a step back at the very beginning. When I was a kid, man, like, when I was a little kid, I'd I'd stalk deer all the time in the summer. Like, see a doe out in the bean field, like, just start crawling on it. See how close you can get to a deer. And, like... Oftentimes in the summer, they're not expecting it. You can get pretty darn close. Oh, like, yeah. You know, I just never one time did that with, you know, with a gun or a bow when I was growing up. I followed the rules. I sat in the tree stand all the time. And I, and I honestly, there part of me hated it. Like, I'm not a patient dude. Like, I've, guys, literally this whole time I'm talking to you since like, you know, originally called however long ago at this point. <laughs> like, I've been pacing back and forth. Like, I can hear it. I can, I can tell in your voice. I can just tell you're like <laughs> all Hyped over the up. place. Yeah. Yep. Hyped up about deer hunting. <laughs> yeah. So like, I like to move. I like to, to like, I, and, and then I like to talk. I, I like to talk a lot. And if I'm hunting with somebody, which I was a lot, I'm talking too much and I'm moving around. I'm just impatient and I messed up, you know, a number of opportunities doing that. Growing up, you're going to have, you're, you're hunting with your buddies and you're, you're impatient. You're going to, spooked deer in a tree stand and especially in ohio where a lot of your tree stands or your trees are not very good for cover a lot of straight trees and get picked off often and deer are used to looking up for for hunters you know oh yeah but, anyway uh, got flustered oh and also i don't like the shot i never liked the shot on a tree stand because a lot of times i was hunting pretty hilly terrain or like i said I didn't have a good tree to get into so i got way up there i didn't never like the shot angle and i just I don't know. I never really, I didn't like carrying a tree stand either, mobile hunting. I don't like the weight of it. And then one day, I found Whitetail Adrenaline. And like, the oh, first dude. time I watched one of those DVDs, I was like, I gotta do that. Yeah. Like, I have to do that. It made me start thinking about when I was a kid, all the times I'd stalk up on deer, and all the times, you know, you hear stories of people, you know, they see a buck with a doe, or they are walking into their tree stand, or they're pulling their tree, I mean, my dad shot one. 
at seven yards when he was putting his tree stand together at the bottom of the tree one time. (laughs) You know, so it's like, you know, you're thinking about all those situations. I really can get out there and try it on the ground. At first, it was a bit of a, well, at first, honestly, it was like, real quick, it was like, well, this is going to work. We have, you know, at I think one of the first ground hunts I ever did, there was like, we're set up on a ground, it was a hot day, set up on a small pond right in the middle of a bedding area, and like right off the bat had a doe at like, I mean, so close, you could hear breathing. Yeah. And that's when I knew, I was like, this will work. It's like, a, I drew on her and everything. And um, we kept doing it kind of on and off in 2016, and then 2017, just did it quite a bit more. And then last year, I, it was finally when it was like, I think I realized that it was, it was advantageous to do it. Like it's, the reason is, is you can get almost always close enough to where, you you know, to where the deer is, you know, like you can, like if you're in a tree stand, you're limiting yourself to a loud tree stand, clanking around and carrying that thing in, getting hung up on stuff. Yeah. If you're limiting yourself to that, then you can't always get close enough, but like hunting on the ground, you can always get close enough. And, it also allows for just like easy, you never, you never, you're never in this situation when you're hunting on the ground. You never go out there and start scouting your way in mm-hmm. and don't see the hot sign and then be like, ah, I'm tired of going anymore. Like I gotta, I gotta just set up. Yeah. You never do that. Yeah. You may never set up in an evening and that's great because you never waste your time on, you know, not hot sign. You never waste your time in a spot. Or there's not deer coming through, or they're not living in there. You just keep going until you find it, which is giving you a heads. It may it may not seem like that productive at the time, but then you now you know for the next hunt. And maybe that's the next weekend. Maybe that's the next day. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's that afternoon. You're you're efficient. You're not wasting time setting up because you feel like you have to. When you carry a stand, you feel like you have. Mm-hmm. I think that's ultimately like why I feel. I guess why I feel like it's so so much more effective, and and for me it's just you know also just want to be mobile. I like I like walking. I like feeling like it's just an active sport versus a sitting sport. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, dude, that makes total sense. I mean, I'm constantly when we find a different like a new piece or when we're scouting in the early season and stuff like that. I'm constantly like, there's a ridge right there. We gotta see what's over the next ridge. You know, it's just kind of that oh, yeah. mindset. Yeah, but I think it also allows you to make those just on-the-fly adjustments. And I've seen that in a couple of your videos where you guys, hey, we've seen two or three bucks go through the same area. Why don't we just get our butts over there and, and oh, hunt yeah. that area and, you know, and you get a, an opportunity from it. Mm-hmm. That's definitely one of my favorite parts about it. I mean, it's funny now that I do that so much. It's like, I mean, it's, it's, it's honestly just, it's frustrating or disappointing. I don't know what exactly the word is for it, but when I see now or hear somebody say oh you know every day they're over there they just they always cross that ridge over there about 40 yards too far and it's like what <laughs> what, are, what are you talking about or like here's the craziest one here's the one that just absolutely blows my mind we saw him go we saw our target about going to that bedding area over there with the doe this morning so we're just going to back out and hopefully hopefully here in the next couple of days we'll get the right wind <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bull man like i'm going in there now like i'm going in there as soon as i see him go there yeah you know, you know he's getting there. As close yeah <laughs> and i mean what do you mean wait for the perfect condition the perfect condition is the condition that he's in that spot that you are allowed to be on yeah you know yeah. like if you're allowed to hunt there public private whatever if he's on it 
Like, that's the perfect condition. I think ground hunting is, has made me think that way. When I was younger, I guess I wouldn't say I would, would ever bail out for the perfect condition if I knew one was there, but it's like, when I was younger, I play, hunted for, you know, played it safe. If, if everything wasn't perfect, I'd leave, and it's just like, I don't know, ground hunting now is just, like, I don't even, it's like, I don't even have to have a, a plan, really. Yeah. I can just go on it. I can just pick my bow up and start walking. And it's like, sometimes those are the best day. No, that makes you know, sense. I, yeah. You, you see it a lot, but I, I mean, I guess I can see both sides of it because I know I was the same way. I'd be in a tree stand and I'd see some deer moving, you know, 60, 70 yards away. And I'm like, man, I should get down and adjust and go over there. But then I fight myself and I, I go back and forth the whole time. And well, the next because thing it you takes know, too, well, it's because it takes too much time. It's yeah. It's a huge factor. And that's why, like, I don't, I just like getting advantage. And then moving in, you know, right. it's like, right. you see me hunt that, those creek bottoms a lot. The reason I hunt those is because I can get up on an edge. I can get an elevation looking down over the creek bottom, and I can just, like, keep a consistent wind on that edge, and I can just hunt down that edge until I start seeing what I want to see. You know, I, I know I know from scouting these areas in the past, too, where they're dead, so, you know, I'm just kind of hunting an edge, and I just keep hunting edges, you know. Those are in that example. It's like a, I'm just hunting a really hard transition line, but I just keep moving until I find what I want to see, and that's ultimately like how I ended up getting that buck. Oh yeah, there in late October. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that realistically, that makes the most sense out of all of it. You know, you see the buck, you see the sign, hunt that rather than oh well, historically they've kind of come through here, right? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that, don't get me wrong. I mean, obviously, like it's also no question that like. And I'm not going to argue this either. Like, it's obviously no question that, like, setting up in places that you've seen them do stuff before works. I mean, don't, you know, don't overthink it to a certain degree, too. But unless they do it all year in that spot, which there's not a lot of spots in anywhere, in any state, they do it, you know, live at the same spot all year. Rarely does that happen. It has to have, I mean, the habitat has to be so good that, I mean, throughout the year, as, as, you know, certain things die and certain things, you know, certain food sources are, you know, the the one of choice, at least. You have to have all that there, say, you know, the whole year for thought that's traditionally good to be good just whenever to go set up on. Yeah, we can go off that on a few different routes. But I wanted to ask you one last thing, though, based on ground hunting, because I was mm-hmm. always I'm curious in what you find are the differences in like wind currents and thermals hunting from the ground and compare Better. that to like hunting out of a stand. Better. Better, better, yeah. way easier to manage. Yeah, see, that's what I've felt too. Because, like, I've I've heard you mention in the past when you drop your milkweed that you know it just gets hung up in all kinds of stuff and it doesn't move as much and you don't see it swirl back around like when you're in a stand. It, that, I, yeah, I mean, it's I, it's crazy, man. Like when you really start looking at like how much more at risk you are when you elevate yourself, it's insane. You, your wind doesn't do that much when you're on the ground because it just gets hung up. Mm-hmm. But if you put yourself up in the tree where you've got, you know, nothing but air between you and the ground, think right. about how much it can do. Right. And there's more, and especially there's when more wind talking about, you know, we hunt really well. If we do hunt into a tree, like, I mean, the tree stand setups I was in this year, seriously, guys, none of them was above, none of them was above 10 foot. Yeah. Not even close. Like they were just barely getting off the ground enough to be able to shoot down into something. Yeah, that's what and I like, want to work on. So we on. hunt low on the ground. Yep. If we are in a tree, as low as we can, because shot angle is better. Another reason is you're not just blowing scent just all over the place, just willy-nilly out there. And I'm like, a lot of people, you know, oh, you hear a lot of guys talking about getting 25, 30 foot up in a tree. 
no way. No way. <laughs> We're not doing that. Yeah. I guarantee you that. I mean, yeah. there, there's, there's, there would be, there's specific situations, maybe for your shot angle, but like, other than that, I mean, you know, maybe you're hunting on a side hill and you want to get up really high to be able mm-hmm. to shoot the trail, you know, that's on the side hill in front of you. Yeah. Maybe that makes sense, but like, other than that, just safety for one and scent and, you know, how quickly you can get up into a tree. Just stay low, you know. And, and honestly, when you're hunting, when you're hunting mobile and you're doing a lot of hang and hunt setups or you're hunting on the ground, the deer aren't looking for you in that spot because they, they've never smelled a human there before or, or not, or not, definitely not frequently enough to like want to check it, right? Right. And, you know, we hunt in a more pressured state, and it's like you kind of said, hunting from Ohio. Those deer, especially those mature does, they mm-hmm. come in, they're immediately looking in the trees. They're looking up, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, but I but I do think being mobile, I mean, think about how often, too, that that's a situation where that happens in a place where you were, you've hunted before. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, you, if you're in a permanent setup, like that's why they're doing that. I mean, think about the progression of a permanent setup. You go in there at some point in the year, and you make this like really ridiculous disturbance. You cut limbs. You, if you, you know, I'm thinking of a permanent like private land setup. There's all these crazy human scents. Like you cut branches. You, you know, if you do it in the summer, you probably are smelling pretty weird. You know, you're smelling. You're just wearing whatever. You're sweating a lot, and then you leave. And as soon as the deer come in there, they're like, "Oh, that's different. That changed. I can smell that." Yeah. So every time that happens and you're hunting in a pressured state or pressured area you know public land or heavily pressured private they know what that means they know especially mature buck and mature doe they know that that means hey bad is there (laughs) you know like danger danger is going to be there and yeah it may be in the perfect spot and yeah they may still go through there but you bet your butt they're going to be checking every single time they go through that spot whether that's by circling downwind of it. I mean, it makes me wonder how many times guys in permanent setups are just, the buck simply just goes downwind of that stand every single time in a spot that they don't even see. And you never even know that the buck's spooked. Oh, yeah. He may never even leave either. And I, oh, man, guys, I'm getting fired up. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's okay, man. That's okay. We feel the same way. (laughs) So, like, there's also, like, uh, I think there's also situations where that same guy, you know, he's like, he's watching his trail camera and it's like, oh. the buck's coming through there every single day. Maybe yeah. it's an October pattern. Maybe he's going to maybe some sort of, you know, food source that's hot at that time, whether it's acorns or, uh, or an alfalfa field. It doesn't matter. Maybe he's got a consistent pattern of a buck going through that. And mm-hmm. every time he goes into a stand, he doesn't see anything. But then the buck pops back up on camera again a couple of days later. The buck never left. He realizes that you were in there one way or another. Whether he mm-hmm. sees you, smells you, hears you come in, he knows that you're there one way or another, and then he just shifts his pattern very, very slightly, and then as soon as he knows you're back out of there, goes right back to doing the same thing. Now, this comes into play with this aggressive hunting tactics that we're always talking about. So many people get caught up about worrying about bumping a deer out of his where he lived. So many people are worried about it. They don't leave, they, they don't ever, they don't hardly ever just totally bail and like go to a different property for forever. I'm not saying that deer in certain habitats and certain situations, like for example, deer around where I grew up in Western Ohio, I know from really, really watching them a lot, you know, grew up there. They move a lot more from bedding area to bedding area 
than they do in Iowa, for example, on public land, where there's really, really good habitat, where they don't have to leave as much. Yeah. But in western Ohio, they move and, and bounce around bedding areas because they can't just, like, exhaust their resources in one bedding area. They have to continue to bounce and kind of let things come back, and they are just constantly changing. So I'm not saying that deer don't move, but a lot of times it's not because of your your hunting pressure. They know how to avoid you, and a lot of hunters hunt very predictably. Therefore, the deer pick up on them well before they pick up on what the deer are doing. Yeah. I think that that's just kind of a bad habit that you know permanent setups and habitual hunting habits kind of create. You know, if you're going into your farm every day for 20 years, and you're parking at the same spot. I'll bet you there's a percentage of your deer population that knows you're hunting that day and will never be anywhere around your your setup. Oh, man, I couldn't agree more with that. And, you know, one thing that you mentioned, like, guys hunting their trail camera, they go in and they check, and they're like, oh, this buck yeah. came in on this point, this buck came yeah. at this point. You know, <laughs> with you guys and trail cameras, I've seen you guys talk about it a little bit, but you guys don't seem to use trail cameras to your to your advantage. You kind of use them for, like, historical data from what I kind of pick up from it. Yeah, like you I mean, guys leave them out like, all season. In the last few years, I haven't owned a trail camera. We've just kind of had five or six or whatever that we kind of throw up occasionally. And you know, some people in our group like them more than you know, use them more than others. And right. I, I've I've honestly been pretty pretty open about the last few years of not using them in season. Like I don't I don't have any like interest in wanting to use them during season because I, I personally just enjoy the process of scouting and not knowing, right? Like not knowing what's there. I don't want any inventory. I don't want to have a hit lister. I don't want to have, I don't want to know any patterns. I just want to try to figure it out by looking at tracks and just deer sign in general. Right? Yeah. I feel like people so, kind of fall into that trap more frequently than not. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a trap. That's, I, that's what I'm, I guess I'm ultimately going to get at. And I, and I, but I also think it can help with the solution too, to where they can still be, I think that they're a, they can be a very helpful tool, but you got to be careful with them, right? You got you can't become too dependent on them. So here's here's I guess my solution or our solution at the hunting public for the last few years. There's two different types of trail camera uses. There's like a long term, and then there's the short term. A lot of people, you know, at this point are using their short term as like something that they're putting on a scrape and they're checking it, checking it, and then they're wanting to hunt right over it. They're doing a lot of just like hunting right over their short-term trail cameras, that's wrong. Delete that idea. In our opinion, the way to do that is is have previously scouted bedding areas, right? You have, whatever, 40 bedding areas. It doesn't matter. You have a whole bunch of bedding areas that you've got previously scouted. Go to a place around those bedding areas where you know deer go that they're used to smelling human scent. So, for example, let's say, say you've got a bedding area, scouted out, and it's on a high rise, and you know they think you, you know exactly where you think they're betting. You know you know that you could go in and get a setup within you know 100 yards of that that specific betting area, but you don't necessarily know when, or you don't necessarily know what time of year the deer are using that betting. And maybe it's something you found in the off season, mm-hmm. which I could go I could go on a whole different tangent about like the dangers of off season, you know, scouting right now too. But here's one solution to the dangers of off-season scouting at this time frame is you go and you put a trail camera on that place that the deer used to find in a lot of human scent. So you know right where they're bedded, but, you know, what we do a lot on public land, because we have no expectation of seeing a mature buck showing up on an open field in daylight, we put our trail camera, like, on 
an access path going through a field or on a field edge on a scrape, whatever it may be. And in the short term, you go out there, you check that trail camera. So let's say you put that camera up on September 20th and you go back on October 5th. And fairly consistently, there is a mature buck coming to that camera from the direction of that known bedding area. Now you know to get aggressive and get in there and hunt that bedding area because that's where you can assume that he's coming from. Or maybe there's multiple bedding areas back there. And from your camera, you scout your way back to both those bedding areas. And maybe you get to the first one, you're like, ah, he ain't here. You know, none of these rubs are opened up. None of these scrapes are opened up. But then you get to the next one. There's big buck tracks coming in and out, maybe going across the creek crossing. You're seeing big rubs. You're seeing scrapes lit up. Now you know, hey, that's probably where he's coming from. So, like, in the short term, if you're going to use your trail camera, just be careful and realize that, you know, it has to be in a place that, if you want to check it, it has to be in a place that the deer are used to smelling people or, or people, human presence, you know, being a fairly consistent thing. Mm-hmm. Crop field, close to a parking lot, maybe uh, an access path, you know, there's a number of different things. Maybe just, maybe just simply open timber. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be a food source or a field or anything. I mean, it could be, if you're in a really highly pressured area, it could be an oak flat where you think the deer are feeding Mm -hmm. inside the timber, you know? I mean, you just, you know, you just have to know if you're going to use them in that sense, you have to have, it really helps to previously have scouted the bedding areas or be efficient enough at finding beds that you can just like take us, you know, take guesses. You know, you're just trying to, maybe you are trying to do inventory. You're just trying to see okay, on this piece of public land, there is a big buck. And now that I know there's a big buck here, I may have never hunted it, but, you know, I'm going to look at this map and I'm just going to go from, you know, one spot to another looking for that hot sign coming out of that bedding area. Yep, that paid off dividends for us this year, man. Like our scouting in the early season and the off season, like finding those bedding areas that we felt were like not super highly pressured and like those overlooked areas paid dividends huge this year for us. Yeah, yeah, I think... I think that, um, you know, ha- ha- doing, doing that is one way. And then you, we'd also mention like kind of that long-term historical data too. That mm-hmm. we just call a long-term trail camera. You know, I mean, literally throw the sucker out, go back to it and just see, you know, and you're just like, oh, that's how they're using this bedding area. You know, like <laughs> yeah. that's the time of the year that they used it, or, or at least in that given year. That can definitely be effective too. I mean, I'm trying, I, I know there's examples of us taking advantage of that as well, but. Well, it's kind of like what you guys say all the time on your podcast and stuff. Everything is so situational. Oh, yeah. That's one of the toughest parts about deer hunting, really, is that there's no there's no answer for anything, really. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the beauty of it. It's like, no matter how many bucks you shoot or no matter how many, no matter how many times you think you did everything right, there's there's still a situation that you've never seen. And, and uh, I, I, think, I think that's just, I guess, I guess that's just it, why we always say you just got to get out there and, like, know saying there's dangers with the scouting at this time of the year but at the same time here to say that i truly believe that every single time you have a chance to be outside or driving around or just anywhere where you're around white-tailed deer i don't care if you're you know 10 state to the west of the state that you're in you're just there for i don't know hanging out there for business you see a deer think about why it's there yeah you know the more experience you get seeing deer thinking about why they're there understanding why they're there I mean, just the more situations that you can understand while you're out in the field actually hunting, you know. 
Yeah, I definitely find myself doing that more just driving down the road since listening to podcasts and looking at where deer are and, and looking in area where areas where I feel deer should be. But and then circling back to the to the trail camera thing, I just wanted to comment. I mean, people fall in love with trail cameras and I feel like they'd rather have They're a addicting. picture. Yeah, they are addicting and people want that picture. Like they want to show off that picture to their buddies, but you know, it, <laughs> um, you're not killing a picture. Out. You're not putting a picture up on your wall of your deer. Do you want to kill the deer or do you want to get its picture? You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, it drives me nuts. I, uh, I, I, it's, it's, it's silly to me really that, you know, I, I, how many times, oh man, this term just really gets at me. Um, <laughs> how many times have you read or like seen in like a topic, whether like, I don't know, you know how like some podcast videos or whatever, like we'll have like what you'll learn in this, like in this media, like how, like what, whatever it may be. It may be an article, it may be a book, it may be podcast video, whatever. And one of the things, terms that I've read on multiple occasions just irritates the heck out of me is how to get better trail camera pictures. (laughs) What does that even mean? (laughs) Like, seriously? That's a serious topic? You know, like, (laughs) I don't, I, I, it's got to the point for me that I don't, you know, I never want to, I don't want to ever put too much trust in a camera because I also don't want to put too much trust in myself that I actually turned the damn thing on when I walked away from it. (laughs) I've done that too, man. (laughs) Yeah, so how disappointing is that? So it's like, you bank so much on trail cameras and you're just going to end up disappointed in some situations or you're not going to see the type of bucks you want to see or, you know, when you don't check them so consistently, you're just more free and you feel more open. Now, I think that they're still, when they were invented, they were, they were invented for, you know, wildlife research. Essentially, it's like why the trail camera was invented. So like, think about it in that sense. Try to research just general deer and movements and patterns and you'll end up learning more from them than you will like just trying to get a picture of a big buck you know yeah so, no agreed man I, so yeah i get fired up about yeah i know <laughs> we we had you already riled up and then we just went right into trail cameras i figured while we got you fired up let's just throw another topic at you that's gonna get yeah, you going sure. no i mean i'm not i'm not, I'm not and, and don't don't get me wrong too when i say i'm fired up or like seem frustrated it's just it's just simply because i know that you know, ultimately everybody's goal, or for the most part, no, I'm sure there actually are people out there that want to get better trail camera pictures. And I, and I shouldn't, you know, just simply because they're interested in getting pictures of trail cameras. So I don't want to necessarily put down anybody's opinion, but if your goal is to like shoot more, you know, bigger bucks more frequently, then you have to have a different mindset of, of these tactics. Or you just, or I just know that, let's put it this way. I just know that there's more efficient ways to do it than what people kind of grow accustomed to or what people are being taught, you know, sadly, incorrectly, you know. So yeah. I just, I, it just gets me fired up because I, I, I want, I want people to get the, have the best experience out there as they can, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. We're a firm believer in just honestly getting boots on the ground and getting out there and checking stuff out. So let's go more in depth then, uh, because one topic I feel like you, have a lot of knowledge with that you can help people be successful is buck bedding. You guys focus on buck bedding. And this is a topic that when we start talking about on our podcast, we kind of get some pushback in this area. Like, oh, you don't know whether it's a difference of a buck or a doe or whatnot. <laughs> but I want you to I talk. Mean, it's so, it's so yeah, straightforward. It, it really is. And whenever, whenever I started listening to podcasts and learning what buck bedding was and I applied it to my knowledge out in the field and scouting, in the off season, I mean, it is literally day and night 
difference and it's black and white. There is no gray area. Um, but I want you to get into more or less kind of the areas of buck bedding. And I guess where I wanted to start with this was oxbows. We see a lot of oxbows around here. We have a lot of creeks and, um, sorry, cricks. It's cricks around here and, uh, and rivers and different things. (laughs) But I don't know. Maybe if you want to kind of get into explaining what oxbows are for the people that don't know and and why bucks prefer to bed there. Yeah. So I I mean, tough thing about buck bedding and, 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 you know, where I say it's it's so straightforward or I say it's so, or, you know, we're saying it's so night and day. I mean, the the tough part about explaining buck bedding, you know, on, a, on just generally speaking, like on a podcast like this, and, and it's and it's nice to have Oxbow to start with. Mm-hmm. The tough part about buck bedding is, is like, there's a, a lot of places that a buck wants to bed. You know, he, I'll just start by saying, as far as buck bedding goes, I mean, we could talk about different habitat types and different terrain types for, I mean, literally days. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, no, we don't but, expect you to go that crazy on it, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it's like, you know, really ultimately here's what it takes, you know, or at least at this point what we feel has allowed us to zone in on buck bedding, specifically mature buck bedding where one's going to consistently bed for at least a decent chunk of the season. They need to have food, water, security, and does, right? Mm-hmm. But those factors can vary in... And they can vary from bed to bed, and they can vary from, vary from train feature to train feature, just habitat types in general. And then the one thing that, you know, stays pretty darn consistent is a mature buck is going to bed where people very, 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 very rarely ever go. I mean, it's like the place that people go the least in the whole county. You can guarantee there's going to be a mature whitetail buck bedding there. Just because that's where they're safe, right? Especially in highly pressured state. But as far as an oxbow and why, you know, I guess we think that that's, you know, why it has all those things and why they use them so consistently. I guess first, let's talk about what an oxbow is. Right. It's a bend or meander in a river. So a lot of times it's shaped like a horseshoe. It's basically where the river, you know, kind of bends and on the inside of that bend would be like the inside of the horseshoe. And if you go and you scout those areas, a lot of times there's buck bedding around those. And I mean, if you're, if you're visualizing this or if you're sitting at home listening and you can kind of draw an oxbow, you know, if you start kind of putting dots right up against the river, you know, on either side of the river, you can start to understand why, like, I guess consistency in the bedding there is because one whole side of where that buck is bedding or multiple sides, if they're bedding on the inside of that bend, right, right, is blocked off by like water, like in, in some situations, quite a bit of water mm-hmm. and a deer can swim across anything you know but you know a lot of times predators are not coming from that water especially humans you know at this right. point in you know the midwest or at east you know deer's really only a mature buck's only predator is a human the only thing that he's you know i shouldn't say the only thing but the thing he's most concerned about yeah we got some bears up here go east <laughs> What's that? I said we got some bears up here too. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, that's true. That's true. But but, but you know, no, for, you're for right. The most, for yeah, the most part, they're mostly concerned about hunters. Yeah, even even, but even if it's a bear too, like bear and just gonna blatantly just like run across the river very often without a buck knowing if he's bedding right against it. Right, and if they do, he's gonna hear them and he's gonna you know or see them in most cases, right. and he's gonna take off. So, but go one, ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> so for one, he's got security. That's what he's gonna get bedding around that river another thing is, is you can see down the river channels a lot of times they'll bed 
to where they can see down around a bend of the river, you know, they can see to the right and to the left, whatever side they're on. And then another thing is water. Obviously, they've got a water source there. And they've got an escape route that's pretty killer. You know, if something is coming from the water, they just run away from the water. And if something's coming from the ground, they just can, if they need to, they can go right across the river. And a lot of times that's given them a head start because they're, they are so agile. Another thing is, is a lot of times down in a river bottom, they've got a lot of variation in food. They've got a lot of just natural browse, lots of just like low vegetation, as well as things like pin oaks, maples that are dropping maple leaves. Maybe in some situations you got hedge that grows down along a river or creek. You know, there's just a number of different things that the deer are feeding on down in there that they don't ever have to leave that little area that they're bedding in along the river. They've got the water, they've got food right in their beds. So, you know, they can stick really tight to that. Yeah. And, well, and then also there's, you know, like I said, there's going to be does around them too. And a lot of times, you know, you're going to find deer that are bedding specifically on those oxbows. And, you know, if you go and you scout them or maybe you're on a place and you're like, maybe, maybe you're like, well, this is stupid because on the creek or river that I hunt, there's 20 oxbows in five miles. They could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, that means you just got to go in and you got to scout, you know, the outside of them, get close enough to where you can see if they're using them, see if there's sign coming out of them without spooking them, and just keep bouncing to hit different oxbows. And then as far as sets up, setups go, you know, you, get, you can really get creative if you got a deer bedding along water. You can use the water as access, whether you're using a kayak or canoe or boat, waders, you know, you can use pretty creative access to get close to them bucks that are better on rivers oh yeah this year especially i mean i feel like we kind of got a little bit more creative that way seeing you guys use the kayaks and wading across the rivers and stuff and that's kind of been kind of a godsend for some of our different spots that we tried this year yeah i think just getting i mean that was like i guess kind of back in the i feel like back in the midwest whitetail days the like creative access was like our kind of the thing that we talked about more so than maybe anything at that time it was just like we were always and, and we still do every single hunt to this day it's just like people are more interested in talking about buck beds and stuff at, at this point but it's like you know back in the day i felt like we were really really just trying to explain you know the importance of looking for ways to get in there without deer knowing you know and and, and we still do that I, I guess every single hunt it's just it's just we don't talk about it as much but you know using creeks and and using water as access is just is just a phenomenal tactic, and you can do it. You can even do it in the late season when stuff freezes. You know, it's just a if stuff the ground gets real hard and, and everything's frozen. You know, the ground can be pretty crunchy during the late season, which is one of the challenges of hunting late season. Oh yeah, I mean, if you got frozen water around that you can use to access the piece. That opens up a whole different level of being quiet to get in tight to bedding and. Just hunting around water in general is never a bad idea. I mean, we're talking about oxbows, but, I mean, sloughs, swamps, anything where water is present, deer, specifically big bucks, know that if they get around that water, it's, like, one side that, like, they can pretty much guarantee you that, like, either nothing's coming from that way or if something does, they're for sure going to know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at you guys during gun season and stuff. You guys were walking down a frozen shoreline. Oh, to yeah. get to places. I mean, I know Jake fell in, but, <laughs> you know, but you guys were just creeping down the shorelines and that had to have been way more quiet than walking through the grass and everything like that. It was oh, yeah. crazy. Well, I mean, one of the things I, and I don't want to get too much into this, but there's a lot of people at this point that are very, 
like anti-gun hunting and you know say there's a lot there's a fair number of people that say that it doesn't take any skill or anything and like i'm here to completely oppose that because i've hunted gun seasons a lot i mean i haven't i've hunted a lot every single gun season i hunt as much as i can you know since i started hunting and the last buck i shot with my gun was nine years ago oh man so like and i've shot a lot a lot more bucks with my bow than than that so uh, and it's not a lack of trying like i said so i guess with that being said it's like one of the things that i find so difficult about hunting during gun seasons and later in the season is just simply like being having that access like having access that allows us to get close enough to be where we need to be you know to where we can basically be in their bedroom because everybody knows on public land and pressured land anywhere in the country when gun hunting pressures start like those deer do not move much especially the big bucks you know and the only way they move a lot is you know aggressive pressure so and that's how we've capitalized i mean while i guess by saying i've never shot one personally but i've been on hunts where you know we were strategizing together and had a lot of close calls and stuff like that i mean we're we're in the game a lot, but but it's still tough, you know, I guess is what I'm saying. And I think one of the things that is so tough is you get crunchy conditions. But, you know, using getting creative and using ice as your access is huge. I mean, it allowed us to get into a lot of places this season. That was one of my favorite parts about hunting this year during the gun season. It was so cold, you could, you could use that ice. Yeah. I mean, you guys were getting on deer super consistently, it looked like. I mean, you didn't necessarily get the shots and stuff, but... There was even other stuff that happened, though, where classic couldn't get the camera on one like there was one oh, that was, oh i'm sure got, we got literally zero footage of him we were set up on an escape route it was the day after we saw that really big buck both jake and i saw him that thing was a tank i remember yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it was we were set up in that same field on a major travel corridor let's put it that way so we were expecting because it was the weekend we were expecting a lot of traffic in that piece mm-hmm. and um Sure enough, we had a buck right off the bat in the morning, start escaping a bedding area, and ran literally to 15 yards and stopped right under the tree. And we had the stupid camera on a camera arm instead of freehanding it. My buddy Keith, who I was with, just, I mean, there was not his fault at all. Like, the deer just came in the exact wrong spot, and there was just absolutely no way he could get that camera over there. But, like, that's the kind of stuff that happens when you're filming, I guess. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, man, yeah. There's literally so little footage of it that we couldn't even, like, make a video out of it because it wouldn't have even made any sense. You know, you've been like, how do one get to 15 yards and you guys <laughs> not even get any footage of it? Well, <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. I, I'm going to do, like, a little bit of a hard transition here. It's something that's sure. kind of been, like, I wanted to ask you all night, honestly. One thing that I've been, like, really curious about for a really long time Let's talk about necessarily like the buck nest in general. I don't want to like necessarily explain what the buck nest is and everything like that, but I've heard you guys mention like multiple times that you guys, you want guys to get out there and you want them to experience the hunts that you guys do and everything like that. So how do you kind of weigh showing where you guys hunt and having people kind of encroach on those areas and like still make content? Like how do you guys keep it together that way? Does that make Um, sense? Yeah, no, it does. It does. Basically like how do we like, deal with you know basically sh- i mean literally showing people i mean if, if yeah. people want to and they right they literally showing people enough, spots. you can find it right right i mean like no doubt i mean i could i think i could you know like, yeah. i think i could find the buck nest on a map if i'd never been there and watched one video of it i mean truly but 
won't dive too much into how you can find it, but <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I don't want to give <laughs> but, your spots away. <laughs> no, no. I mean, well, that's kind of ultimately what I'm gonna get at. Is like, I don't really care. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is like, we want people to get out there and go hunting, and we we sincerely do. We want more people to get out on public land. We want more people to get out and just get hunting license, get into the sport, find a reason to care about public areas. Like, it's it's something that's so important to the country. You know, like. Oh, absolutely. Lands and, and, you know, basically having places to go hunting and fishing because that stuff's important. Like, it, it just is. Like, oh, I couldn't agree more, man. So it's like, we want more people to get out there and do it. So the more we get people fired up about going out there and going on public land, the better. And if, you know, we got to show a place where we see five mature bucks in one, <laughs> one ticket, you know, it's like, <laughs> we got, we have to. But I guess the point is, is like, yeah, people find our spots and people, I'm sure, I'm sure more than we even know, but like, to be completely honest, a lot of the places that we hunt or shoot a buck, like, we just don't even hunt them. Like, we just move on right on to the next spot because there's always another spot, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I guess we don't kind of early on kind of made this like unwritten rule of like, don't get attached. Right. You know, like to all of us. And we kind of hold ourselves accountable to that. Like, if somebody's starting to get too attached to something, it'd be like, dude, lay off. Like, if you're getting attached to a buck or you're getting attached to a spot or, whatever it may be, because you never know when that, that something's going to change to where, like, you only get good at hunting one spot. Right. Like, what happens when next year, you know, a group of five from Michigan and a group of five from Illinois come in and hunt that spot that you've been hunting for the last five years in Iowa? All of a sudden, it went from, you know, a couple guys here and there hunting it to ten guys pounding it for, you know, half a month or something. You know, like, yeah, you can't get attached. It could just be weird luck. I mean, I haven't watched the show. A lot of times that's the case, you know. A lot of times you get in there and, you know, realize somebody's been hunting a spot and that wasn't hunting the year before and you get to talking to them and, you know, they don't even, they never even watched it. It's just luck of the draw, but it's public land. I mean, it's the same, the same thing happens to everybody as it does to us, I think. You yeah. Know? Absolutely. Like, you're going to run into people that like just hunting your, hunting, you know, whatever, your spot. That's, I don't like that. You're <laughs> your you hunting the spot that you've been hunting. Yeah, let's say they're right, hunting right. the same style as you and they just happen to stumble upon the same spot you guys found. Yeah, I mean, it know? happens all the time. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's like, that's what's so funny and fun about public land is like, you literally never know what's going to happen. Like, you never even know, like, unless you got cameras like literally littered all over the place. Like, you have no idea who's been in there. Absolutely. You know, I feel like it's, it's kind of ironic sometimes and funny and just like, just seems silly kind of like we often talk about you'll hear us say nobody's been in here (laughs) it's like we don't know that (laughs) i mean we like like we like to think and we like to use the clues that we can find to make that assumption but like we don't know that at all there could be some guy coming in from private land in a way way that you don't even really realize exists every single day of the whole season yeah you know definitely yeah neon man could be coming in and sitting on a bucket (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly i mean it's it's funny because like we saw that stand that day and like we were just like yeah nobody's hunting in here sure enough some guy walks literally right to that spot and it was like, <laughs> we were like this stand's old it's been here for forever and it had been but like he still hunted out of it so oh, it's yeah. like you just can never be you know you can and, well and what's crazy is we're like nobody's hunting here if, if that buck was dead right there because that stand i mean that guy's stand was all 50 yards from where that big eight-pointer was bedded yeah. that, that day. I mean, the buck was avoiding that stand because it was a permanent setup. Like, found his sign, and his sign literally never went across that creek. But he was bedded right across the creek facing that tree stand. Yep. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's crazy, man. <laughs> Even like a good example of like you were saying before, like not getting attached to a spot, like let's just say not even getting attached to a specific deer. Look at that deer that Aaron was hunting on public forever, that giant freaking uh, buck. The giant nine yep. point. The giant nine point. You know, somebody killed it this year. They were obviously hunting in the same spots that he was. And, you know, he obviously didn't try and go after that deer all year. He went and hunted all sorts of other places, you know. Yeah, I mean, he barely, I mean, he barely even hunted for, the, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he really didn't go for him that often. And I, and I like, we all stand and back him for that because, like, we don't want him to get too attached. Because right. next thing you know, you're wasting too much time. And you're not only wasting potentially your own time, but you're also, like, everybody else wants a chance to go, too. You know what I mean? Or, like, Absolutely. a chance to, like, you know, try something different or whatever. Like, we, we like to explore. We're not hunting a buck. No, not a single one of us is. Yeah. Never. No, and I love that I mean, about you guys, honestly. That's just... It's one of the coolest things and kind of not necessarily branching off of that, but another thing that I really like about you guys, you don't really focus on inches. That's no. like one of my favorite things. We don't really focus on inches here. We Everybody likes to kill a big deer. There's no yeah. ifs, ands, or buts about it. But you guys try and like, I don't want to say you poke fun at it, but you guys have fun with that kind of stuff. Like, let's go back oh, to the yeah. turkey tour. You guys did the hashtag longbird. That's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, <laughs> I'm still mad I didn't measure my bird this year. <laughs> Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's, it's like, man, you want to talk about something seriously silly to us is like just score, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, the reason that it's silly is uh, to, to us is it, and, and is actually, okay, let's not even say silly, not even poking fun. Like, let's make sure that, I guess, anybody listening realizes that, like, there's a serious reason behind us not talking about score, too. Right. And that's because we feel like when there's a lot of talk about it or if there's too much talk about score, and it starts, hunting starts becoming a competition. Yeah. And what we feel is something that is going to quickly make hunters, you know, get discouraged from hunting is, you know, thinking that it's a competition. So all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm not shooting as big a buck as, you know, the guy down the road. You know, I'm, I'm never going to be a good hunter. You just lose interest in the sport. I mean, that to us is like super detrimental to the future of hunting. It's like, if we're trying to make it this competition. So, like, yeah, like you said, everybody wants to shoot a big buck. And, like, shooting a big buck is awesome. Keep it in perspective of, like, what talking about score is potentially doing to people that are getting interested. Mm-hmm. You know, they may get discouraged. They may think that they're not doing things right when the only thing that you got to do right when you're hunting is have fun. The only thing that you have to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. You know, I have to shoot a big buck. You know what I mean? I mean, all this talk, all of us talking about strategy, like, super in-depth deer hunting strategy, like... Maybe you just like shooting squirrels, and that's cool, too. You know, like, there's so many people that are deer hunting focused, you know, and it's like, it's just turned into this big antler game, and, like, you're only a good hunter if you've shot big bucks and you've shot booners and, like, whatever, man. Like, I couldn't care less about that. Mm -hmm. I I could, and none of us could. Like, there's not a single one of us that feels like that that is important to hunting or makes hunting hunting. Like, what makes hunting hunting is, like, being out in the woods, you know, trying to understand some animal's pattern and try to put yourself in a position to make a clean ethical shot at it period mm-hmm. like yeah i mean it's hard enough fun. as it is rather than saying like oh man i want to shoot a 150 inch buck this year it's hard enough getting bucks in front of you as it is yeah yeah hard is, it's hard to get a deer in front of you it's sometimes i mean if you're new to it it's hard to shoot rabbits and squirrels I oh mean, yeah it still is for me some days like i guess the point with it is is like it just isn't about that. It isn't. I mean, period. Like, it is not about 
inches. And mm-hmm. I think that's just something that we feel really strongly about. And, and I mean, who has even scored a turkey anyway? So like, <laughs> it's really easy to poke fun at turkeys, you know? Like, <laughs> like if you're if you're telling me the score of your turkey, I'm automatically uh, yeah. just like not not interested. In I don't even like, know how. What if somebody I'm tells you they shot a 52 inch bird? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't. I don't even know how. I don't even know how it works. I just think it's hilarious. No. But I mean. At the same time, don't get me wrong. Like it's fun to shoot a big buck. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that. Like you know. Like obviously, that's when we're going whitetail hunting. That is our goal. Like us specifically at the hunting public. But like for some people, it's just to go shoot a doe, and that's okay. You mm-hmm. know, it's to shoot a deer. You know, and it's okay to shoot small bucks. Like, and I, I guess the thing is too, it creates these arguments. Big bucks create these arguments. It creates this like separation of hunters, and it's like. You know, in my area, it's brown, it's down. All my neighbors say it's brown, it's down. Well, maybe their situation is that they only get to hunt for three hours out of the whole season. Right, right. But you get to hunt 25 days out of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that guy should damn well should be able to shoot whatever he wants. He can shoot a spike if he wants to, and that's okay. Yeah, like, yeah. There'll be another buck. I guarantee you the rut will still happen. <laughs> yeah. like, they're going to be breeding. There's going to be another one. <laughs> yeah. That's one thing that kind of gets me fired up, like people who hate on people for shooting smaller bucks and things like that, or younger bucks, like, especially if they're a new hunter, like you see these posts and a kid shot a little basket rack eight point and they have this big smile on their face. And then you have this couple yeah. comments that guys are like, why didn't you wait for a bigger buck? Well, you shouldn't yeah. have shot that buck. Like, yeah. He yeah. was excited about it, man. Leave him alone. Yeah. Not only <laughs> well, that, yeah. but yeah, you know, and I'm sorry, in PA, I feel like with our state becoming more or less more mature bucks you're finding with the point restriction and things around here, yeah. it's becoming more of a competition in Pennsylvania with people that are shooting young bucks and people just getting absolutely harassed for it. And I think that's wild. I mean, I shot a half rack this year with a broken off half side and I couldn't have been more happy about it. You know, he was a somewhat mature buck. I don't care. He got me fired up. He came in with three other bucks and chasing on on these does all through water and just splashing. It was the best hunt of my entire life, you know, and I couldn't be more happy with that. But people are too quick to jump the gun and and put a number to it. And, you know, we talked earlier and I mentioned about our out-of-state trips to Ohio. And I I told you, you know, we killed two Pope and Young bucks or better. I don't know if they're Pope. I'm just trying to give you, a, you know, an image. <laughs> yeah, you're just giving, you're giving me just a, a, yes. a shot in the dark of like roughly. Exactly. What I don't know if that right. deer's one fifty-two or yeah. one twenty-two. I don't know. I don't care. You know, <laughs> it was an awesome buck. It just it gives yeah. you an image in your mind. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. And I guess that's and and then you hear this argument too. And I mean, oh man, this is tough. This is tough too because I know a lot of people are going to kind of bet probably. Hey, we don't care. A lot care. of people that would get men out of shape about this, but like, <laughs> we don't care. They say, they say, oh, it's not about, it's not even about score. It's just about age for me. Yeah. I don't, I don't care about age. I mean, like, yeah, maybe I do. Maybe I would like to shoot the oldest buck, but like, I'm not out there like being super concerned about what I'm going to shoot because of its age. And I'm never, ever, ever, ever going to judge anybody about what type of age that they shoot. And I'm not even going to talk about how old the buck I think is. I mean, I may say, yeah, I think this one's really old if it's obvious that it's old. But, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I don't want to say an age because, like, I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. Like, it's always always just a guess. Like, unless you were there for the birth of the deer, <laughs> to say it, you don't know how old he is. <laughs> and I've seen a lot of, like, studies, you know, where, you know, they actually are sending deer teeth in. 
and I've seen where like actual ages come back. A lot of times people that are so sure are not right. Yep. You know, yep. like there's a lot of tricks and like it goes both ways. Oh, I mean, yeah. It goes both ways. I mean, you like, say it best, man. You say oh, it. Your, your number one quote in my books, nobody will care about your mounts when you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, wait, you heard me say that? Oh, I did. That in, uh, what? one of my other favorites is you win some, but you lose most. I picked up on <laughs> yeah, that from you. A, yeah, that's a classic one there. That's a, <laughs> nothing could be more true than that. But where, did, where, where do you think you heard, like, well, I'm just, oh. just out of curiosity. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> did, uh, I've been hear? I've been pumping through podcasts that you've been on, different episodes, stuff like that, and I'm I'm pretty sure I I can't say for sure, but I think it may have been on either down south podcast, somebody's podcast. I feel like I heard you say, I I know it came out of your mouth. Nobody will care about <laughs> oh, your yeah. mouths when you're dead. And when I heard that, I wrote it down immediately, <laughs> and I laughed <laughs> for a half an hour. <laughs> That's, that's my favorite. Actually, exact quote, I'll censor it, is it, nobody gives a crap about your mounts when you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> Only I don't say crap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly the quote that I say. It's just like, I mean, it's true. Like, no, I mean, like, nobody does. I mean, it's uh-huh. just become a burden, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, how Zach died, we get, now we gotta do something with all these stupid deer antlers. Yeah, someone's gonna pick them up for I mean, 20 bucks on a, a, a garage sale one day. Yeah. <laughs> It's just so funny. It's just like, I mean, there really couldn't be, well, I don't know, at least in my opinion, it really couldn't be much more true. Yeah. It's fact. Oh, man. So, I mean, listen, man, We, I'm sorry. We've been dragging you on forever. We want to be sensitive to your time. Uh, there's so many more topics I'd love to cover with you while we had you on. But uh, I think we should uh, maybe wrap this up with some rapid fire questions. Uh, just some quick, quick hits, if you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. I can. I think I can do pretty good at not rambling. I will see. <laughs> hey, I'll let you ramble all night if you want to. Man. Yeah, honestly, I'd love to hear you. I mean, I'm, ha- I'm having a blast just sitting back listening. But uh, I know it's been probably over two hours now. So we might as well just get moving here. All right. So what what is your number one tip for a new hunter? Number one tip would just be get out there and move around. Try to learn as much as possible. Don't get too caught up in any rules or anything or anything that you read. Don't worry about spooking deer. Just go out there or, or, or whatever the game is. Like, don't be worried about failure because like, if you're a new hunter, you're going to need a lot of failure to have success. So mm-hmm. just go out there and have fun and try to fail. Solid advice, man. I couldn't <laughs> agree more. <laughs> um, who were your hunting influences growing up? Was it your dad, your grandpa, maybe somebody on TV? Yeah, mostly just my dad, my grandpas, and then guys that I hunted with, like at our deer camp, deer and turkey camps every year. I grew up hunting with just our buddies that were my age or older, and you know we all just kind of learned from each other. And I, I have a lot of respect for the guys that I, you know, kind of learned from, and you know they know who they are. So you know it's yeah. it's a I don't know I, I owe a lot to those people that helped me out when I was young. Mm-hmm. And you know maybe at the time I didn't realize it's as valuable as it was, but you know now I do, and I you know owe a lot to all those people. Yeah. What would you say your favorite hunting tradition is then? As far as like safe your camps, man. yeah, like, I yeah. love like and maybe having a few Miller Lights at Deer Camp or <laughs> you know whatever. Like that's I mean that's the kind of stuff that I like is just like hanging out with the guys and getting back, you know, just BSing for hours and making jokes. I mean, cooking food together, you know, just that camp atmosphere like is easily like I went on my first turkey camp when I was twelve. 
when I, you know, first started hunting public land turkeys, I went on my dad and his buddies, like, public land turkey hunting trip, and I was just like, this is the wildest thing that I've ever done. I'm, I'm, I'm more happy on this camp trip than, like, I've ever been in my life. And yeah. I would say that pretty much holds true still. That's awesome. If you had to pick, let's say you have the opportunity to only ever go on one more hunt ever, what would it be? Oh. Man, I know that's a tough one, and it's kind of throwing you on the spot. I, know. I don't know an answer to that. <laughs> I don't know if I do either. You know what it would probably be? Any way that I could go hunting with like as many of my friends as possible. I don't really care yeah. if it was deer, turkey, anything. You know, if I could get that camp atmosphere feel, it wouldn't matter if what it was or where it was or how much success anybody even had. That's that's ultimately what I think I would want it to be. It's just to be able to hunt with like. A group of guys or like have a camp with a group of guys and you know i know that's maybe not the most ideal situation or sort of answer that you were looking for but i, I think anyway, it's solid that we can that if that was going to be my last time that's the way i would want to go out no man you know what that just shows what kind of guy you are that's just that, that's a really awesome answer honestly that's not what i expected but it's awesome I, yeah <laughs> i think well, it's thanks. it's best because you didn't you didn't say oh it'd be a colorado elk hunt or something like that you Put into perspective for everyone listening, hunting to use more than just what you're hunting or where you're hunting. It's about the people. It's about the experience. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what you did best with that answer. But I got one more tough question for you because I'd be, <laughs> All right, let's shoot it. I'd be doing my state an injustice if I didn't ask whether <laughs> in 2019 we will see the hunting public in Pennsylvania. It's sounding like that's going to be the case. Really? And I think we're going to at least, at the very least, we do have it penciled in for turkeys. So awesome. at the very least, we're penciled in for turkeys. Well, one thing I would say, if you were going to come for turkeys, I'm not I'm not telling you not to come this year for turkey or anything like that, but if you get your deer tag for the year, the following spring you'll have your spring turkey tag rather than buying your turkey tag and then kind of losing your license for the year. Yeah, because this that's spring... How, that's how it works there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this spring turkey is actually on the 2018 hunting license that, right. that starts no in June. That is completely backwards of everywhere else in the country. Well, no wonder why we can't hunt Sunday. You know, it it, it just doesn't make sense around here. <laughs> oh, man. That's, <laughs> that's the biggest... He's right. Don't even get me started. <laughs> yeah, he, I know about that from really good friends yeah. hunting in Pennsylvania. I don't care for that one single bit, but I'm not going to dive into that. <laughs> you know what happened today? What's that? Our senator passed a bill to start Sunday hunting in Pennsylvania. Really? Yeah, man. That's a big win for us. I'm so excited yeah. about it. Yeah, it's off <laughs> to the Senate. Oh, well, good deal. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're making baby steps. There is some progress, but I mean, there's, you know, there's some organizations on our side fighting for, for Sunday hunting and it, it just, the amount of backlash and denial it's to a, it. It's absurd to me. I, it I don't, is. I mean... I don't even know that, like, I don't really know that I want to continue to talk about it because I don't want to get angry. <laughs> oh, dude, I'll get angry, too. It's just going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> we posted our last episode that we recorded today as we're recording this one, and we went off on a tangent. There was five of us in here about Sunday hunting. It got out of control pretty quick. Yeah. I'll be honest. Uh, I, can, I can imagine. I mean, I'm just talking to my buddies. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. It just, yeah. it just flat out does it. I mean, a weekend, no, yeah. a guy that only gets to hunt weekends mm -hmm. literally has... 50% of the time to hunt that he could, and that's horrible. And then yeah. Past that, you know, All right, I don't we'll, know. We'll move from any it. Other, if you got any other rapid-fire questions, I'd be willing to go to those instead of talking <laughs> about Sunday hunting. Get, and you know, here we are. Out. We're like, let's talk about Sunday hunting. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
No, I think that's it. I don't know. Do you have anything else, Austin? <laughs> no. That was the last rapid fire question. Other than that, man, before we let you go, you want to let anybody out there know where they can find out more about you or where they can find out more about the hunting public? Yeah, so we uh, have YouTube channel. That's where most of the, well, where you can find the most of our video content, which is you know what we're most excited about. We got all kinds of videos and literally anywhere from you know southern public land turkey hunting to western Arizona coos deer public land hunting and tons of whitetail hunting in multiple different states. At this point, we've been to a lot of different states already in the last like year and a half. Deer and turkey hunting, mostly public land videos, and that's all on YouTube. And then we have Facebook and Instagram, and you can find us under The Hunting Public, which we had a lot of cool, unique content there too, like photos, different videos that don't make it onto YouTube. So there's all kinds of stuff there as well. And then I believe Ted has got the... um orders to create a twitter account i'm not sure if he's done that or not but oh, man. I'm, not a, I'm not a tweeter so it's, i'm not yeah either. <laughs> yeah we kind of we shied away from it personally because i've gotten off that platform you know years ago and it's yeah just, i don't i don't yeah. know anything about it i've ne- never really have so but apparently we're going to be there and then you can also find us on amazon prime and you see the channel there we got pretty much the same videos that are, are on youtube just maybe a little bit a little bit shorter even just because some of the things can't go on there that are on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Just like some of the more timely stuff, I guess, that we put on there. But anyway, yeah. And then we all just have our own social pages, too. Like Very cool. Yeah. Facebook and Instagram. I lied. I do have one more question for you. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. Okay, so I want to know who... Oh, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. One other thing, too. I should totally do a plug of this as well. We also have a podcast. Oh, yeah. Hunting Public Podcast. Yeah, you do. It's that's, awesome. Yeah, that's where it all got started with me, man, is the podcast. Yeah, we, got, we do a lot of live Q&As on Facebook, too, which are super fun. And like, if you're listening to this and you've been able to deal with listening to me for this long then you'll like the <laughs> live ones because we ask like as they're coming mm-hmm. in like live questions from the viewers so that's super fun and we can hit a lot of situations doing that yeah. so perfect trans- that a plug perfect transition because this is a question that i've thrown out there a couple times on your live podcast who has your vote for the best buck kill reaction of 2018 of your group <laughs> uh, um <laughs> i mean I'm assuming that we're going to have the same one. I mean, okay. It's probably got to be that one of Ted and Kentucky. Yes. It's so yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, man. It's just so funny. It's so, like, it's funny <laughs> to me, like, hanging out with Ted is, like, this uh, flashback to being, like, that age. Yeah. Like, I feel like I see a lot of, like, young Zach and Ted, you know, and I just, mm-hmm. like, feel like that reaction just hit home in the fact <laughs> of, like, that's exactly how I would have reacted at that age, you know? Just, yeah. like, yeah. you know, just so absolutely oh. giddy out of your mind. And, like, I think it's so awesome. Like, it's super good. He lost like, his mind. I, when I saw that reaction, I was like, yes, that is, I mean, you can't fake something like that. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, he no. totally I mean, lost just goes it. To show, that just goes to show how fun hunting is you know like that reaction like what else would make somebody act like that (laughs) right (laughs) yeah yeah like maybe winning like a big championship in sports or something but like no other than that i don't even think that because i mean if you think about a sporting event it takes so long for something to occur in which you win it that you know there's almost some expectation when you kill a big buck like that out of nowhere it is all your emotions in a matter of seconds, and they just yeah. explode on you. <laughs> yeah. it, it is crazy. his face. Oh, my gosh. It's priceless. 
Oh yeah, no, it's so funny, and then the hand bite is unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's probably my favorite part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. Well, you nailed it, man. We really appreciate you coming on and spending the night with us, uh, talking about hunting. We we enjoy it so much. That's why we did this. You know why we started this podcast, and I'm sure you guys same way. You know, you just love hunting and love talking about hunting so much that any avenue you can take to get it out there and get it off your chest and kind of let the demons speak a little bit i guess <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's it's yeah, amazing no doubt. I, I appreciate you guys having me on it's been a fun conversation yeah man i just wanted to say i really appreciate you taking time out of your day and coming on and it, it's been really awesome man yeah no problem well thanks like i said thanks again for having me oh man well that was a freaking wild episode man. <laughs> dude zach Farrenbaugh. what an episode what an episode a huge shout out to him for coming on and talking to us for as long as he did i mean he didn't have to take time out of his day, and he did, and we really appreciate it. He took a lot of time out of his night to <laughs> yeah. talk to us about all kinds of stuff, man. We covered everything on this one. There was buck bedding. We were talking about mobile hunting, mobile scouting, and we got into their deer tour, their turkey tour. I tried to pick his brain about where he's coming to PA, you know, all kinds of good stuff. Mm-hmm. I might have ruined his wanting to come to PA, but I don't think I, he, I think I, he'll come anyway. I still think they do. It's The funny thing is, even though that's all they're getting is turkey tags out of it, if you think about it, a lot of the places they went on the turkey tour last year, that's all they were doing anyways was buying a tag and oh, you know, a license and a turkey tag. It's about the same cost, if not more, anywhere else anyways. Right. right. Yeah. And, you know, I mean... It's reasonable. It's, you know? it, it is. It, it's it, reasonable. And, you know, he even said that it fairly penciled into their schedule. So, I think they're definitely coming. I think it was such a high demand and... I think Aaron was interested in it, too, because yeah. really, like he said, he's been to Pennsylvania. He's got his butt kicked here. He likes a challenge. Turkeys, and he does like the he challenge. He does. He likes a challenge. I think he wants to take the full group and try it again. Plus, Zach said, you know, he wanted to get to New York again anyways and oh, yeah. and try to redeem himself there and see if they can't get a bird done yep. either in PA or New York. But it's kind of fun to hear that those Iowa boys are having a little bit of trouble in Pennsylvania <laughs> yeah, hunting man. turkeys, man, because that's what they kill. We'll see what's up. I think they can get it done. I do, too. Yeah. I actually, I'm rooting for them and anything I can do to help them, I would. Absolutely. Um, you know, but if they're going to be hunting big woods, public land for turkeys, it's tough. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, you know, it's tough, especially the area that I think they might be going to. The bird population out there ain't what it is around here yep yep you know we have a pretty good bird flock around here that we do that we do so, but yeah i hope you guys enjoyed that episode that was one of my all-time favorite episodes an unbelievable episode to record absolutely you know and if you guys really like this episode feel free to send us a message on facebook or instagram or something let us know who you guys want to hear from mm-hmm. you know and if you wouldn't mind head over to itunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a five-star rating that would just really help us out yeah, leave us a review, leave us a five-star rating. You know, go to YouTube and, and check out the hunting public. Yeah. What they're doing is changing our industry and changing the way that hunting is being viewed and the way that videoing hunting is being viewed. They have an unbelievable platform with unbelievable content. The guys are killing it. They're killing it, man. They're yeah. going public land. They're really doing everything right ethically. I mean, they do every single thing by the book mm-hmm. they're awesome to follow but they're goofy and they're fun to watch absolutely and even head over to their instagram and their facebook because they throw stuff on there that mm-hmm. they don't they don't put on youtube and just a little funny like quirks and things that they do and keeps yeah. up to date on everything that they but, got going on but they're very informational absolutely there's tons yep. to be gained yep if you want to learn how to kill a turkey 
go back and watch the turkey tour yep. videos. Yeah. It time. helped us out big time. Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. can contribute a lot of our kills this year to the hunting public. Absolutely. So I thank them for that. I thank them for all they do. Yeah. So, man, this was a great episode. We really appreciate you guys out there listening. Let us know what you what you want to hear. We got some pretty exciting episodes coming down the coming down the pipeline. Coming down the pipe here. Yep. So everybody, head over to our Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Send us an email if you want. Tell people about us. If you do that favor too, tell a friend. That's mm-hmm. all, that's all we need. But oh, and we have t-shirts. And we have t-shirts now. Yeah. We have t-shirts to sell. We have gray t-shirts with orange logo. A gray t-shirt with green logo and a black t-shirt with white logo. Yep. It's got our logo on the front and it's got the distraction is real on the back. Yep. They're real sharp. Yep. Send us a uh, message if you want one. We'll get it shipped out to you. Yeah. We just did a real quick little order on them. See if everybody likes them. If yeah. nobody likes them, we're not going to do another order. But yeah. if they do, we'll we'll make another order and send them out. Yep. We yep. got it. All right. Well, the distraction is real. The distraction is real. Let's go. Just remember, I'm just, just a goofy dude from Ohio. That's yeah. really all I am at the end of the day.